0: Welcome to the Fast Host Proactive Podcast, Spill the IT. Each episode, we'll sit down with some of the amazing proactive team and chat through their experiences of the ups and downs of IT infrastructure management in small businesses. There's always plenty to chat about. Welcome back everyone. My name's Graham and I'm your host again today for this week's Fast Host Proactive Podcast session. Um, So one of the subjects we get asked so many times on these podcasts is, what tech should I be looking for with a cloud managed services provider? And we get lots of that coming through on the questions and the Q&A's and things, and so we thought it would be a really good idea today to to run a podcast on it. Uh, With me today, I have Terry Hercombe, who's Head of Systems Engineering at FastSales Proactive. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. Hi. and uh, I assume like last time when Mark was here, is this your first podcast? It is indeed, yes. (laughs) Fantastic, we're going to make you podcast stars. That's what we hope for anyway. Um, You're going to do a far better job of just telling everybody a little bit more about yourself, why don't you just give us a little bit of a short synopsis about what you do here at Fast Hose Proactive.
1: Sure, so I've worked in this industry longer than I care to remember, um, you know, getting on now, but um, I started my career back in kind of late 90s working for um, what was a startup, a Gloucestershire-based startup. up um, who were kind of first on the scene um, in, in terms of providing email-based email-based threat detection. Um, of course, back then, internet was very different to, to how it looks today. You know, none of the big cloud players really existed in the, in the capacity they do today. Um, but back in the 90s, of course, email was seeing huge adoption, um, and, and is, is, as is the way. Um, the darker side of the internet saw an opportunity there. So um, back then we started to see mass mailing email viruses come out. So they would infect your system and then go through your, your address book and then send it out to all your contacts with a very convincing email trying to, to, to um, uh, infect those systems as well. Um, moving forward a, a few years, and I find myself at Fasos. Um I joined the company back in 2018, um, it seems like just yesterday, but of course in the blink of an eye. Um, we're five years on, um, and here I am. I started with the company as a senior cloud engineer in the systems engineering team. Um, and over the years, I've moved up into the head of systems engineering team. Um, my primary focus for the team is secure container hosting platforms um, and pass service offerings in our cloud.
0: Yeah, fascinating. Well, we're going to talk about that just a little bit uh, later as well. Uh, with me today, also, I have uh, Simon Young, who is the CEO um, of Fasthost and Fasthost Proactive. Good morning, Simon.
2: Morning. Hi, Good nice to have you, have
0: you back. Uh, and also as well, we have Marco Hare, who's the lead architect here at Fasthost. So again, Mark, yeah, hi, yeah, welcome back. Um, So I have here a recent report that was published by Pluralsight stated 70% of organizations report more than half of their infrastructure is in the cloud. And 44% of organizations adopt the latest cloud products as soon as they're available. I thought that was an interesting stat. Um, And 65% of organisations say their cloud environment is multi-cloud. And the final stat is 27% of leaders say their cloud strategies enable them to drive customer value. So everything's moving towards the cloud. Um, We're in cloud heaven. (laughs) Excuse the pun. Um, But obviously technology plays a massive role in how cloud is managed. Um, And we have had so many questions regarding the the must-haves around what are the top technologies to have when working in the cloud. So Terry, this is where I hope your expertise is is gonna be really important, really interesting for the listeners this time. So uh, take us through what you see are the essentials and, and why.
1: Yeah, I mean obviously with my background, you know, one of my driving factors is, is containerization. Um, and not, not everybody's in a place um, where they can adopt containerization at this point. Probably needs some work on their side to look at, you know, microservice architecture, taking those huge monolithic applications that they used to have and splitting them up so as that they function in a, in a, in a Kubernetes or a, a container-based um, orchestrator. Um, other things to consider, you know, the foundations need to be there. So, you know, there's more of a shift towards kind of zero trust um, security models now, which is a concept that uh, assumes no implicit trust. Um, you know, in, in in a zero trust model, um, we're not, Concerned about the location of the user or the device, but m- multiple factors such as the user identity, the device's health—is it is it patched and up to date? Does it run AV software, uh, anti malware software? Um, the context of the request that the user is making, um, and the overall security posture. Um, implementing zero trust requires a you know a combination of technology, process, and some cultural shifts as well. And the key steps: defining access policies, deploying identity and access management, which most of the big cloud providers give you out of the box, um, and leveraging things like network segmentation, so making those networks smaller and more isolated um, are all really good things. Um, You also want to consider um, additional services that the cloud provider offers. So right now, if you're on-prem and you're hosting maybe a Microsoft SQL server or Postgres database, or well maybe you want to consider, actually, does, does my cloud provider offer that as a service? Mm. Um, because there are multiple benefits there. So the configuration uh, um, of that database engine is, is not your concern. It's, it's handled by the cloud provider. Things like backups and, and continuity are all kind of covered for you.
0: Mm, interesting. Um, obviously, when you talk about zero trust, that's a really big out there sort of statement. Are, are, are customers—is that the lead thing when they say, "Right, technologies take us through that that process"? Are, are the customers leading there that, that you talk to here at Proactive, or is it something that you're making sure that's top of that top of that? Yeah, house? I
1: think it's 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 the bigger bigger customers in the industry are, are on that journey yeah. right now. You know, security is a hot topic. We've already said we could we could consume multiple podcasts talking about yeah, security aspects. Could, yeah. Um, I think, you know, as Simon referred to earlier, perhaps some of the, the smaller customers um, or, or newer customers to the, to the cloud scene probably need a little bit of hand-holding on that.
0: Yeah, do you ever get caught out? Do, do people come to you and say, right, okay, we, 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 we must have this technology configuration, we must have things done in this certain way? Um, does that ever surprise you and, or do you have to like, deconstruct that and say, actually, we don't think that's the best way we think you should be looking at at uh, this environment or doing things in Yeah, I mean, there were no
1: surprises in this game. We <laughs> deal with lots of customers at different levels of maturity, and, and that's where those surprises spring up, you know, customers that aren't day-to-day in this space.
0: Um, Mark, what have you seen in relation to technology demands from people? Uh, 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 uh,
1: where's where's the big, big
0: hot topics?
3: Um, well, the uh, you know, a lot of the complexity sort of in, in sort of building applications can obviously come not only just in running sort of the container workloads, but what we call the, like the backing services that go behind them. So, you know, storage, you might need um, sort of very efficient caching strategy, so you can get a lot of performance out of an application, or as, like Terry was talking about databases, but we might have things like object storage and things, things like that, where um, we need these additional services to go around the actual computational Workloads mm. that you're going to run, and, and they can form quite a challenge. Often the reason they become more challenging is, is because, um, you know, they need more management around them because mm. they might have information that you don't want to lose, um, and you certainly don't want to expose when you know. Hence, like the zero trust, making sure that you've locked down, you've got the right kind of security in place.
0: So, so Simon, obviously the. Proposition that you've taken to market here at Fast Host, Fast Host Proactive. Um, how much of the time here at Fast Host is actually used in interfacing with those technologies? Correcting things that might be looking like they're going to go wrong, because that's obviously the premise that the whole thing around FASO is proactive. You're cutting things off before they go wrong. How much of those technologies are you having to tamper with as an organiser? I don't say tamper, but correct or foresee things that are
2: going to fall over. Manage proactively. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, not as often as, as you might think, but it, yeah. it requires a lot of close monitoring, and we, we are available to, to intervene where, where we need to. I think a couple of observations of the conversation, containerization is is the future and that is an ambition of a lot of clients that we, we need to speak to, but as Terry alluded to, some of our clients aren't working in that way yet, they don't sort of, they're not a, a more traditional provider and they, they don't work with microservices within a container yet and so there is, you know, there's some journey and some education to, to go down and you've probably Uh, businesses will need to contemplate what they need to change about their business to to fully take advantage of containerisation. And the other thing I would sort of say is it needs to go hand in hand with a good sort of talent management and and recruitment type type policy. You know, these are sort of new cutting edge technologies and the, the resource and expertise that you need to manage that is in short supply and I would encourage anybody thinking about making that step or having ambitions to make that step Mm. to start to work with their existing resource and talent now education training development and developing them in in that right way because it is a different way of managing your technology to more traditional technology providers Uh, and i would encourage anybody that has ambitions Mm. to to move to a more containerized environment to start thinking about how they take their their organization in particular their people on that journey with them Mm. Um, with regard to fastos um, we do offer those services, so anybody that has that future ambition, it, 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 we we are able to sort of handheld them in, in that process, um, and we we um, are, are able to introduce those technologies. And it might be because it's such a new technology, we're, we're able to t- just do it for part of their environment yeah. or something like that. And I would en- encourage organisations out there to think about which part of their technology stack is most relevant to containers, and maybe use that as an education and development step. So Terry, what would you
0: suggest if they were going to take the
2: first steps into
0: setting up containers in their business? What would be the first steps that you would advise people to take? What sort of applications would they be running? What sort of business sort of process would it, would
1: it support? Well, first, I think it's important to assess the workload and its suitability for yeah. containerization. Now, in most cases, that's going to work fine. As I said, most, in most cases, you're going to find that that application is a huge monolith, and you're going to want to start analyzing that. And How do you break it out? How do you split that up into the different microservices and deliver it? I just wanted to go back, though, to, to something that you were talking to Simon about, and, and you know how configuration management. How often we need to get involved in in, in correcting things. Um, I think you know one of the benefits of um, the proactive uh, management solution that sits behind everything is infrastructure as code. So everything is deployed in a repeatable, consistent fashion, and then we have configuration management that's always aiming to get you to desired. Configuration state, um, and the same—you know—the same is true of containers and, and container orchestri- orchestration. I mean, essentially at a high level, you, Kubernetes is just trying to get your application into the desired state that you, you've set. Um, I think the other thing is there's a tendency for businesses to say, "Okay, containerization—that's the thing. We need to we need to adopt it." Yeah, everybody runs to it, and yeah, they rush like into it. Thing, yeah. and, and one of the things, um, again, that we, we come back to is container security. Um, and there are some some pretty scary statistics. Uh, you know, I don't want to scare people away, but it, it paints yeah, it's a good picture, to talk about it. Yeah, it paints a picture them, about you know how you need to, to focus on these areas. So around 87 percent of container images uh, running in production contain critical high high severity vulnerabilities, um, and around 85% of those can be fixed. And mostly that normally comes down to misconfigurations in your CI/CD pipelines, where perhaps you haven't set that build to update the, the OS packages installed inside the container. So it might just be as simple as that. Um, the other thing is permissions management. So you know, 90% of permissions granted are unused and remain unused, not required. And then your risk comes if you get a compromise in that application, then suddenly you've potentially got elevated permissions when realistically the the workload that was running there didn't need that level of permission in the first place. Um, And the other thing to consider, and again, it's something that we would keep on top of in in the uh, proactive world, is is resource utilization. Um, We see this um, with external Kubernetes customers, but also internally as well. Um, Lots of resource is allocated um, and unused, so 70% of CPU and 18% of memory resources are allocated to container workloads but never used. Um, That obviously leads to increased costs, over-provisioning and underutilization. Um, and we we even see um, 60% of containers run with no limit set, or 60% with no CPU limit, um, and 40, 49% of containers are running without a memory limit. And whilst day-to-day, it's probably not an issue. If all those containers suddenly get busy, then you've potentially put your entire cluster at risk from mm. overload. Um, and the other big thing, and I think it's a big ticket item that, that um, organizations are struggling right now is, is supply chain attacks um, so things like um, previous log 4j which I won't get into massive detail here but you know any dependencies libraries that you're pulling in you need to know that their quality they've not been um, exploited in any way
0: so looking at the cost of running these containers is it easier to manage that cost? within those individual environments, to be able to report back to the customers and say, actually look, across the whole portfolio of your suite here, look, we've got some areas here that you really need to address because you're you're not utilizing what you've allocated and things like that. You know, is that the type of conversation that customers want to have? Because obviously underutilization is a big subject.
1: Yeah, sure, Whenever wherever you can save costs, right? Um, you know, we have great observa- observability stacks in, yeah. in the container hosting platforms, um, and it's really easy as- for us to see, get a view on you know, how much has actually been allocated for- is what's currently being used and, and and for sure you know containerization paves the way to, to eke a bit more out of your infrastructure right so not everything's running at peak demand at, at the same time so um you have peaks and troughs and you can you can take advantage of that with with your kube cluster the other thing that kubernetes and containerization paves the way for is is kind of serverless functions as a service technologies again getting a little bit more out of, out of your infrastructure because those containers only exist for the duration of that request and then they're, and then they're gone
0: Interesting, Mark. We obviously uh, have been on a podcast talking about you, to you about migration. So mm-hmm. you coming back to that subject, talking about migration, and then obviously setting up these containers. How how difficult is that? Does anything get in the way in relation to if that's going to be the preferred process of setting things up?
3: Um, yeah. Uh, well, in, in around sort of migration, when you move into using. A lot of this technology is open source technology, which means that you know a big wide community can contribute into that. <clears throat> it also means there's a if you pick the right kind of technology, there's a lot of eyes on it. Hence, why you know these vulnerabilities uh, get identified. In, you know, in in software. That is running on these kind of stacks. So, the important thing to do is to make sure you've got a process where you, you're actually monitoring everything that is that is running on those platforms. So, you know, we do a, you know an awful lot of work in sort of making sure that we're monitoring any of the containers, the images that go on. We we deconstruct them to understand all the different components that are in there, and then we monitor all those those different parts that make up that container image and we find out what kind of vulnerabilities they are and then have a reporting mechanism where we can flag up and get people to sort of correct any of those kind of vulnerabilities that we're not happy with that are running in those images and it's important to have those those are a continual process because things are discovered all the while mm. you know it's not like i did it one day forget about it you mm. need to have it's a it, you know it's a permanent operational activity, new things get discovered all the while, you know, as we often read about in the press. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, if we're looking at hybrid, if we're looking at on-prem and cloud, uh, is there any additional complexities around these containers and Kubernetes and how that's being managed?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the benefit of containerization is the portability of mm -hmm. that container so you know mark could be developing for that application on his laptop ship that container to me i can run that guaranteed to work as long as i've got you know a compatible container runtime engine so you know in in terms of moving the workload between different cloud providers yeah i mean it reduces that that vendor lock-in um i guess there's more complexity around how you manage um those deployments, mm-hmm. um, you know, we talked talked about hybrid management interface, um, which are basically tools that talk to the APIs of each of your your cloud providers um, and can provide a, you know a consolidated view and, and configuration platform. There are there are there are numerous offerings. Um, it probably needs research and consideration on each use case, but you know, there's Flexera, Cloud Bolt, Scalar, RightScale, all products that can manage multiple clouds for you. Um, some cloud providers have their own offerings for multi-cloud management. Um, that's, that's definitely one of the challenges, along with observability, um, because now you need to suddenly pull metrics from multiple um, or containers running in multiple cloud providers. But again, in the, in the containerization world, we have standard cloud-native monitoring stacks. So that's Prometheus, Grafana, um, and Alert Manager, um, which we use heavily here.
0: Yeah, really interesting and a, and a hot topic, I, I guess, for assuring customers that you've got that observability and that, and that sort of top level of reporting. Simon, do you see that as a big thing when 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 you know where where the whole industry is going and what customers are demanding? Yeah,
2: yeah, I've sort of picked up on a, a couple of things that um, Mark and Terry have suggested, and and I think some something where we we can help out. But it's really important um, uh, across the board is transparency. You know, we talked mm-hmm. about sort of managing costs and, and utilization and, and uh, but also when when you're looking at vulnerabilities and a lot of that becomes to providing that information in a sort of consumable way to, so that your client or, or key stakeholders in, in your clients organization can, can understand it as well because the type of detail and data that that Terry or Mark might be working at is probably different to the the level of detail that I'm working at for instance. And what your
0: customers have
2: Yeah and it's really important that we summarise that for our our customers uh, and that key decision makers within our our client's business understand what's going on and and we provide them with the necessary data so they can make decisions Mm. Um, because you know I I work with a lot of technology people that are far superior technology wise to me and, and they can sort of spin up lots of environments and do do lots of, of things, but it's very important that there's some sort of transparency or oversight on on, on what's going on and that's where Um, your provider uh, in this space should be able to help provide that level of transparency.
0: Yeah really really interesting subject and I have to say this morning guys I've really learned a lot about this subject but uh, um, Terry you've been absolutely great thank you so much. Mark and Simon thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Um, So what's coming next time I hear you say? Uh, Well we've got Mark O'Hare who's going to talk about those migration strategies um, and ongoing applications into the cloud. Um, what applications are are more likely to break when you migrate to the cloud or multi-cloud and Mark's going to be here next time and he's going to tell us all about that so for now uh, we'll let you get back to the day job thanks for joining us and listening I hope you all all found that quite interesting and we'll see you next time thank
2: you thank you bye Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode you can subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcast or visit
3: proactive.fasthost.co.uk for more info See you next time.